He is risen. Today is the one day of the year that we really, really, really focus on the resurrection, isn't it? I mean, think about it. For Christmas, we have one month, or my family, six months where you start listening to Christmas music. July is almost here. And it's about, no, we, as I said before, we have a rule in our family. September 1st, you can start Christmas music. To the scorn of some. Uh, we enjoy Christmas, but really, for 11 months out of the year, every Sunday we come together to celebrate a risen Christ. And today is that one day where we just really, really, really focus on it, isn't it? Because we want to just get it into people's hearts and minds that this is not just a, a dead guy sitting in a tomb. He's not just rotting in the grave with flowers on top. He's not there. I love that when people go to visit Jerusalem, they go to Israel, and they go to this place where we assume, where they think the body was, where the grave was. It's empty. You go to Buddha's grave, he's there. You go to Joseph Smith's grave, he's there. You go to pick your other figure around the world, he's in there. Well, bones are, maybe some dust and stuff. They're in the grave. They're there. But you go to where the place where Christ was buried, and he's gone. He's not there. He's alive and well. And literally, he's living within our hearts. For those of us who receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, his Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us, the Bible says, and he is living in us and giving us his power through us. And that is such an exciting thing. So today, I want to really kind of hammer out one thing. For those in here who have never received Christ, who've never, you're kind of researching this, you're trying to, trying to figure this, what's this Jesus thing about? You've heard about the blood of Christ, you've heard about the resurrection, you've, you see the, all the stuff that's going on, and you go, yeah, there's bunny rabbits and Easter eggs and that kind of stuff, but what is all this stuff that the world celebrates? And you're still trying to figure this thing out, trying to research it. My goal today is to kind of solidify that for you. So at the end of today, you walk out of here with complete understanding of what Christ has done for you. You have complete understanding of him wanting to draw you to himself and that you walk out of here saying, I need what that crazy man on the platform's got. And I fully admit, this is a crazy man standing up here on the platform. I want you to come to that point in your life where you say humbly, Jesus, I need you. I have this thing in my life called sin and I need it removed from my life and I need the forgiveness that only you can give me. I need to have that joyful life that that crazy guy on the platform has got. I need to have that joyful life of that guy playing the guitar up here. I'm glad I'm back there and not up in the front because I totally would totally mess it up, Drew. I need that joyful smile that Drew has every Sunday as we sing about the resurrected king, as we sing about the joyful life we can have in Christ. I need what those guys have. I need life with the power of Jesus in me because I can't do it by myself. Today's message is entitled The History of Mystery or The Mystery of History, sorry. Should have read my slide back there better. How many of you growing up like to read mystery novels? If you're my kids, any novel, your hands go up, right? I loved Hardy Boys Mysteries. Sherlock Holmes, the Hounds of the Baskervilles, what really happened there? I like to read mysteries. But this idea of Christ 
rising from the dead is one of the greatest mysteries that has ever hit mankind. Men and women have been debating it for 2,000 years. What really happened back in AD 33? What really took place back in AD 33? There's a lot of mysteries that take place that we still talk about. I mean, think of Nero. What is Nero known for? He's not known as the emperor of Rome and all the things that he built. He's known because he was a crazy man. Not like this crazy man standing up here, thank you. He was known to be a crazy man who, who burned down his own city and crucified Christians along the way to light the streets of Rome. That's what we know him as. Augustus, here he railroaded the whole Roman Empire for four decades, and yet in God's Word, he's just a footnote. He's just a footnote at the birth of Christ. In the time of Augustus, this took place. Those are like mysteries that, that we look at. These men ought to be, we ought to know more about them, right? What about the early church? I mean, here's this, this people who were put down and, and they were persecuted, and yet for 300 years, even before there was a New Testament, people were putting their faith in this man who supposedly rose from the dead. How does that happen? There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There was no revelation that was written down that said, this is the New Testament, this is your Bible. The only thing they had were these letters, and they had the Old Testament. That's all they had. How does a movement, how does, how does a group of people grow? How do they become encouraged? How, that's a kind of a mystery. It's, we don't fully understand how that works. How did the church itself get here? I mean, we, have the, we have the recordings of the early church of what happened. We have the recordings of, of, of how they met together, 3,000 people after Peter's first sermon. Yeah, the, the church went on into Corinth, into Ephesus, and some of these other places. But how did it really grow and thrive? You see, all those can be answered in the message today. All those things can be answered. And I want you to either use this message today as a way to either consider or reconsider why you should put your faith in Christ. If Nero was and Augustus, if their stories were really that important, wouldn't we know more about them rather than just being really footnotes in history? Wouldn't the church just have been blown away like the wind, if it was really nothing really took place? See, all these events take place to remind us and let us know that there's something really happened 2,000 years ago. Something really happened. In fact, more and more, I was listening to one of my old professors yesterday, Dr. Gary Habermas. He's a well-known apologist. He did his doctoral dissertation at the University of Michigan, a secular university, proving the resurrection of Christ in front of all these unbelieving scholars, he stood up there and defended the resurrection of Christ. I was listening to him yesterday. He said, you know, more and more scholars are coming to admit openly nowadays that something happened. Something really happened. We don't know exactly what. We can't fully explain it, but something happened to Jesus. <laughs> we know what happened, don't we? We can look at this book that God has given to us and know that his life is not, what he did and what he preached was not just a movement that we follow. We don't just follow his message, we follow the man. I mean, think about this, there's movements that have happened all over the world. And all movements have something in common. They all have a charismatic leader. 
They've all got this supposedly new message. And then those leaders go on for a while, then they die. And what happens after they die? Their followers pick up the message, and they carry the message on, right? And that message is what becomes important. Think of Muhammad, for example. Muhammad lived. He had a message. He, he drew people to himself. He had this message, go out there, do this, do this, do this. And he, he supposedly received a word from wherever to write the Quran. And that message is there. Martin Luther King had a great message. I have a dream. Right? He had a message. And his, when he died, his followers picked up that message and carried it through. And one would assume that Christianity is just like that, wouldn't they? You would assume that Jesus as a charismatic leader at that time, that his followers, when he died, would just pick up his message and carry on that message because he was still in the grave. But think about it for a minute. What really happened? A closer investigation shows that was not the case. In fact, the first thing is that Jesus' message didn't advocate liberation or revolution. He wasn't talking about liberating Rome or overthrowing Rome or coming in here. And that's what they expected the Messiah to do at that time. The people at that time expected the Messiah to come in and overthrow Rome, free us from our oppressors, right? But Jesus' message was not about that. His message was totally radically different. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, you can't be serious. These people tax us. These people, they whip us. They come into our houses and they overthrow our stuff and they they don't even give us our Fourth Amendment rights. You want us to love them and pray for them? See, Jesus' message was about himself. What was it that he said? I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the open door. I am, I am, I am. And when questioned by the Pharisees, what did he say? He said, who are you? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now when you look at that in the book of John, what's he claiming? What was, what was the private name that God gave to Moses when Moses is Moses standing before God at the burning bush and, Moses, and God says to Moses, go and bring my people out of Egypt and bring them to a land I'm going to show you filled with milk and honey. And he says, but God, who should I tell them is sending me? And God says, Moses, you tell them that I am is sending you. So that was God's private name, Yahweh, Jehovah. His private name. He said, you go and tell the people that the I am, the the one who was yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the one who always has been and always will be, the eternal God who is knowledgeable and understands all things, all powerful, all knowledge, everywhere at one time. That's who's sending you. So Jesus stood there before the Pharisees and he said, before Abraham was, I am. Bible says they tore their clothes, they ripped out, they wanted to rip out his beard, they punched him in the face. Why? Because he was just a crazy preacher who said, love your enemies as yourself? No, because he said, I 
am God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God. And I came to bring you not just a message of revolution, not just a message of liberation, not just a message of forgiveness. I came to bring you myself. I came to restore a relationship with with mankind that was broken in the garden under Adam and Eve. When they ripped up fig leaves to hide themselves, and God says, you can't do it yourself. You can't hide your sin. You can't do enough in your own power to get yourself free from your sins. So right there in the garden, God killed a lamb. And he took the sheep, the skin, and he used the sheepskin to cover Adam and Eve. Telling them, you can't do it yourself. Only I can cover your sins. So as Jesus came as a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he's walking down the path, and John the Baptist looks up and goes, look, here he comes. It's, just, it's the lamb of God. Jesus died on the cross. The lamb of God. His sin, his blood was shed for you and I. So that we could be covered, have our sins covered, our sins forgiven. That's the message of the cross. That's the message that Jesus came to give. That he and he alone is the one who can redeem you. Not our works. Nothing that we've done. I can't be good enough to make myself pleasing to God to get into heaven. It doesn't matter. I can play these things to my heart's content. Or to, to, I can play my heart out. I can be the best man. I can, I can be the best husband and father. I can give as much money to the homeless as I want. I can pay all my taxes on time or early. I can drive a speed limit all the time. You've been behind me, haven't you? <laughs> it doesn't matter how I live my life. I cannot justify myself to God. He says, I'm sorry, it's not good enough. I require perfection. And you're not it. I'm not it. So when Jesus came, he said, I'm the message. In me, you can find perfection. In me, you let me fill your life. You let my perfection fill you. And that's what God sees when you die and you stand before him. He doesn't see David Edder. He doesn't see... Dave Allen, he doesn't see Rich Rose. He doesn't see any of us in our actions. He sees Jesus in us. That's what he's looking for. And that's the message of the cross. When he stood at Lazarus' tomb, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. He doesn't say the one who follows the law. John 14, 9 says, Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was our message. His disciples. The people there, when he died, everyone fully expected the movement just to die. They expected, yeah, they'll be around for a short time. Give it a decade, two, give it a generation, and he'll be gone. That's what happens with movements. But when Jesus died, unlike anyone else in any time in history, the movement died. 
but he did not. See what happened. No one believed his message. Jesus came. The world in general, they didn't believe his message. His message was one of love. His message was one of forgiveness. His message was a very simple one to just adapt into your lifestyle, right? No one believed his claims. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am God. I am the resurrection and the life. People didn't believe that. See, when he died, the movement died with him. And the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the Roman leaders, they rejoiced. They were excited. Finally, this man who's been driving us nuts for three years, wandering the countryside, feeding people, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, feeding 4,000, casting demons out of people, doing all kinds of crazy things. Finally, he's gone. Finally, we'll have peace. We can get back to the way things were. Right? (laughs) Little did they know because it wasn't centered around him. I mean, think about Peter. Even before his, he died, his, 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 his followers scattered. He, at one point, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in the next breath, after Jesus is, is taken and, and arrested, he's sitting around a campfire, and a little girl says, weren't you one of his followers? No, I didn't even know him. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. Who are you to question me? He's cussing her out right around the campfire. Oh, with a mouth like that, you definitely must not be one of his. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke. They all record the same story. There were no heroes among his disciples. When he was arrested, did they stand up for him? All intents and purposes? No, they ran away. And Peter stood up and he cut off the ear of one of the servants that was there. And Jesus reached down, picked up the ear, and put it back on. Healed the man. And the disciples realized, uh, he's not fighting. Something's going on here. Uh, And they were gone. In fact, the book of Mark even talks about himself even, how he ran away and was naked. I mean, they grabbed him, and boom, he came right out of his clothes. Running away. There were no heroes. Nobody stood up for him. Nobody stood by him. See, Messiahs don't die. They live on. The Son of God God can't be killed. You can't crucify the resurrection and the life. No matter how much they tried to wipe out his name, no matter how much they tried to just do away with him, three days went by. That song we sang at the very end, Mark alluded to, the tomb was borrowed for three days. That our God, our God, not just a man, our God rose from the dead again. Amen? He is alive and well today. Amen? He's in our lives today. His presence is in our room in this auditorium this morning sitting here watching and listening to our songs, listening to the words in our mouths, listening and and understanding our thoughts. He is here in our midst 
this morning. I can't see him because God is spirit. But he is here in our midst, alive and well this morning. See, the mystery of history is this. How do we go from a scenario like that where everyone's running away and they're upset and they're crucifying and, and they're, they're, everyone's afraid for their lives to one just 300 years later when the emperor of Rome makes a profession of faith and declares Christianity the official religion of the whole world. How do we go from that point of persecution for 300 years? Is it because just a movement took place? Is it just because there was a charismatic leader with a message? No, because for 300 years, people had been proclaiming what? They'd been proclaiming the risen Christ, the risen Christ, the risen Christ. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. He was dead. He came back to life. He was dead. There's forgiveness of sins. He was dead. He is alive for 300 years. And all of a sudden, it caught wind and, whoa, there must be something to this. See, Easter, the story of Easter solves this mystery of how in this world a man who was crucified and buried and cast aside with his followers running away, hiding for their lives, just a short time later, in fact, 50 days later, after at Pentecost, after he, he rose, he appeared to them, he shows himself up in the upper room, he says, look, here's my hands on my side, put your hand, feel them, you can feel it. He appears, and then they walk out of there 50 days after his crucifixion, and they are bold, they're on the street corners preaching, they're up there preaching, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen. And, and the, the leaders say, you've got to stop teaching this name, you've got to stop preaching this name, you've got to stop, you've got to stop, you've got to stop. And they say, we answer to God, not to you. Something took place in their hearts and minds and in their eyes that radically transformed their lives. Something happened. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 2 says, Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, when it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, Lord, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Notice that no one assumed the resurrection. No one assumed that. They were like, what's happened? The, tomb, the stone's rolled away and he's not there. They thought someone had stolen his body. Luke chapter 24 verse 11 says, They did not believe the women because the words seemed to them like nonsense. What do you mean somebody took the body? I mean, the stone is huge. It's heavy. The seal of the emperor was, or Pontius Pilate was put in this. Nobody's going to dare clip off that, that seal and they're going to fight off the guards and roll the stone away just to steal a body. Or how's Jesus going to himself push the stone away after he'd been whipped and flogged and hung there on the cross? Even if some would believe that he just swooned and passed out on the cross. How's he going to push, push that stone away then walk out and go, I am the risen Savior. No one would believe that. When he finally appeared to them, he appeared strong. 
He appeared in his full flesh. He appeared and says, I am the risen Savior. I am Jesus whom was crucified and am now alive again. There was no doubt in their minds. John chapter 20, verses 3 through 8 says, So Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb, and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. A little speed demon John, huh? He says, He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along beside him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who, was, who reached the tomb first went inside. And John, now the author, says, He saw and believed. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the strips of cloth lying in the tomb. He saw the, the cloth that had been wrapped around his head lying separately and laying nice and neat. It says he saw and believed. Remember, the disciples didn't fully understand what was going on. How many times did Jesus tell them, I will have to go, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed by men, and I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm going to come back. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed by men and I'm going to die. But don't worry, I'm going to come back. He told them that over and over again. But they didn't get it. They're like us. We're hard-headed. The truth is right before your eyes and we don't want to believe it. Because I have my own preconceived ideas of what should happen and how life should be lived, right? John goes up there to the tomb. He believes. He saw and believed. In the upper room, Thomas says, yeah, I, I know you guys have said you've seen him, but until I put my hands on his side and touch the holes in his, in, in his hands, I'm not going to believe. A short time later, Jesus appears again in the upper room, and he says, Thomas, come here. I've got a task for you. Put your hands right there. Touch my side. In fact, put, you can't, don't, don't put your hand all the way through. That wouldn't be nice. What do you feel, Thomas? He saw and believed. He felt and believed. Our God is alive. He is not dead. He's not still stuck in that tomb. He didn't die. He died on the cross for you and I, but he did not stay dead. He rose again for you and I so we might have that relationship with him restored. That was a relationship that Adam and Eve broke in the Garden of Eden. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and died and rose. He died and rose. Never let those two things, don't doubt it. He died. See, the message of the resurrection, the followers didn't re-engage Jesus because of something that Jesus taught they re-engaged because of someone that they saw. They didn't re-engage and begin following. They didn't re-engage and begin teaching. They didn't re-engage and begin believing because of just something that was taught during the three years that they followed Jesus. They re-engaged and became excited. They became transformed because of who they saw. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ standing in their midst. He said, I am alive. And the Bible says there were over 500 that he appeared to at one time. 
Can you imagine the joy and the excitement going from depression and despair and anxiety and now they're, he's alive. Did you see him? Have you seen him? Imagine the whispers going among the community. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? He's alive. I haven't seen him yet. You you better come around. He's going to show up again. (laughs) Have you seen him? Have you experienced him? See, that message of the resurrection, this message of the resurrection that was passed on from generation to generation to generation beyond that, that is what we proclaim every single Sunday from this pulpit, every single day of every week from this church and other churches around us. We proclaim a risen Christ who died for our sins, who came to redeem us back to himself to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. That's the message of the resurrection. Acts 3.15, Peter, just a short while after the re- Jesus was ascended back in heaven. As he's preaching, he says, Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He didn't say, Come and live a better life. Come and give more money to to our congregation. Come and, and give more money to alms to the poor. He said, You come and repent. Because your sins can be forgiven. You come and repent. You have that life restored again that Jesus Christ came to give you. You come and experience the risen Christ. On the radio, he may still be on the radio, there's a man called Hank Kennegraff. I used to listen to him. He's called the Bible Answer Man. I used to listen to him years ago. I haven't heard him in a while, but I follow him still online. I was listening to his audiobook this week called Resurrection. I encourage you to get a copy of that book or listen to it. He talks about a way that we can know, a way that we can explain very simply, very succinctly that Christ is alive. I want to share with you his four points this morning as we bring this to a close. He calls it the feat that explains the fact of the resurrection. Number one is the factual death of Jesus. See, the Romans were very good at what they did. The Romans were really, really good at killing people. Would you agree with that? There's stories. We've all seen the movie Spartacus, right? They were really good at killing people. They're really good at training their soldiers. They're really good at maintaining order and discipline. And when when a soldier said, yeah, that guy on the cross is dead, you could take him at his word. They plunged the spear into his side. Blood and water flowed out, the Bible says, showing that they had pierced the sack around his heart. They broke his legs. But they didn't break his legs. They broke the legs of the other men hanging with him so they could not then push up again on the cross and get more breath, and so they would suffocate faster. But when they came around to break the legs of Jesus, he was already dead. Already dead. They were really good. So it was factual death. The empty tomb. See, the empty tomb is not disputed. Everybody knows the body's not there. The question is, what happened to the body? Was it stolen? 
Did he push the stone away himself and come out, I am the risen Lord? What happened? Nobody knows. In the second world, we know. The empty tomb was a fact. Thirdly, the appearances. After the resurrection, he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to those on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. In fact, when Luke is writing that, he says he's appeared to over 500 people at one time, and many of them are still alive today. In other words, you can go and ask them. They were visible witnesses, physical witnesses of the risen Christ. Not just one or two. They were over 500 at one time proclaiming the risen Christ. And lastly, and probably the most powerful, is a transformation of these men and women. Think of it. Just three days earlier, they ran away. They ran away as Jesus was being arrested. On the cross, the Bible seems to intimidate that only John was there, maybe others looking on from a distance. A short time later, their lives were transformed as they're out there in the public square proclaiming the risen Christ, and not just them. Think of Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was of the highest, uh, one of the most strictest sects in Phariseeism. And something happened to him. On the road to Damascus, a light appears, and the man is never the same again. He's blinded. He goes to, into Damascus. God appears to one of the disciples there, one of, one of the, his followers there, and he says, you need to go and lay hands on Paul and heal his blindness. And I can imagine the, the fear in that disciple's eye, in their mind. God, do you know who this man is? This is the one who's been persecuting us. And you want me to go and to pray for him? And Paul was radically transformed by his meeting with Jesus. He was not the same ever again. He went from being a persecutor of the church to a preacher in the church, proclaiming the message of the risen Christ for anybody and all to hear. He wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. Not bad for an unbeliever. Something happened to him. He was radically transformed. And even think of James the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem at that time. There was no Baptist Church of the Church of Jerusalem at that time. That sounds good, right? The pastor of the First Church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, okay, the physical brother of Jesus, denied Jesus his whole life after the resurrection. Something happened to him as well. Do you think maybe he met his brother? Do you think maybe Jesus walked up and says, James, hello. Hello, little brother. Do you think maybe he stood there and went, everything you've been saying is true? And his life was never the same again. See, these radical transformations of people who denied, who hated, who rejected everything that Jesus stood for, they rejected his message, and they rejected him. Their lives are radically transformed by something. 
See, the resurrection changes people. When you meet Jesus, you're changed. You can't remain the same person ever again. When you're introduced to Jesus and he comes into your life, you are radically transformed. Your mind is transformed. Your life is transformed. Holy Spirit comes and lives within you, and your sins are forgiven. The Bible says they're thrown as far as the east is from the west. There is no more penalty of sin to be held against you. That is the message of the God. That is the message of the resurrection. That is what I want you to hear this morning. That your life, too, can be radically changed today. Your life can be radically transformed today. You don't have to walk out of here the same person you were when you walked in. You can have your sins removed. And you can say, God, I believe, I understand. I don't fully comprehend all the details. I don't understand all the context that's in God's Word, right? There's some tough stuff in there. I'll admit it. I don't fully understand everything in there yet. But you're the pastor. I know. I don't fully understand everything in there yet. I'm still learning. And my mind is still being transformed. God is still working on me. Every single day I wake up and I go, God, teach me something new. God, I want to learn more about you. I want to get to know you better. To be radically, radically, radically transformed by the touch of your hand. I encourage you today as we close out understand that this is not just a movement it's not just a message this is the man that we serve the man Jesus Christ who's alive and well have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as we think about all that God has done for us in re- desiring to redeem us back to himself. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, at some point in my life I bowed my head and I submitted myself to the Lordship of Jesus and I, I received his forgiveness of sins and I know I'm a believer and I know if I died today that I would go to heaven. But I've not been living up to his expectations for me. I've had a little transformation, but mostly I've just been letting, living the way I want to live. And you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, thank you. Pastor, pray for me this morning. Thank you. Our hands all over the room. Pastor, I've not been living the way I should. I need a touch. Again. Maybe there's others in this room You'd say, Pastor, I've been listening to the message. I've been listening to the story. Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time that you've heard the story of the resurrection, you'd say, Pastor, today I realize that what Jesus did for me was real. It's not just something that was written in history books to make us feel good, but I believe it is real, and I need to have a real confrontation with the God of the universe this morning. You'd say, Pastor, this morning I want to give my heart to Jesus and receive him as my Lord and Savior this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday. 
And if that's you, would you just lift up your hands? I want to pray for you and maybe lead you in a, in a prayer here in a second. And say, Pastor, I need Jesus this morning. Thank you. Pastor, I need Jesus this morning. I need to be radically transformed this morning. Join others in this room. I'm going to pray here in a minute. I'm going to pray for those who need lives to be transformed a little more. And then I'm going to pray what we call the sinner's prayer. And if you have never received Jesus this morning, those who raise your hands, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me in just a minute. Lord God, I thank you for those who raise their hands this morning, those who's, who acknowledged in their own spirits and their own hearts that they have not been following you the way they should. And I pray, God, this morning that as we come to the cross, as we come to acknowledge and realize that you've done so much for us, how can we do so little in our lives for you? I pray for those who raised their hands the first time around, God, that you would just give them an extra strength of your mercy and your goodness in their lives, and they would recommit themselves to you this morning to call upon your name and say, God, I need more touch of you in my life. I need to get rid of me, and I need more of you in my life. And as they walk out of here, they'll feel the strength of your touch. And Lord, for those this morning who raised their hands and said, God, I need you for the very first time in my life, would you repeat after me to yourself? You can say it out loud, or you can repeat it to yourself. Lord Jesus, I love you. I know I'm a sinner. I need my sins forgiven. I need them gone. I want to have a deep relationship with you. And I can't do it by myself. I believe in your resurrection from the dead. I believe and I confess that you are the Lord God of this universe and that you desire me in a right relationship with you. God, I give myself to you. I give you all that I am. I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you my body to be used as you will. Today, I give you it all. I desire to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that for the very first time this morning, you are a child of God. 